0: That last one I know I need that fucking explicit sign on. Ratchet Book Club Hood Classics Good Classics Derek. That's me. Nine one six six three three one five three seven. Ratchet and Ratchet Gmail dot com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Uh leave a review on Pod Chaser. Uh Lee Review on Apple Podcasts. I mean Y'all know me by now, right? You know where all the places are you can find me at? Prove it. Leave a review. That's really it. Chapter 6 Tim wakes up in starch purple sheets in a guest room bigger than the house he grew up in. He pulls the thick white drapes. The whole room is bone white and looks out the window at the pale early morning desert where sunlight has just started to paint the surrounding mountains lavender. The compound, that's what it is. Tim decides now that he sees it for the first time in daylight. It's surrounded by an eight-foot-high adobe wall with guard towers at the corners and parapets. It reminds him of some movie he saw on TV one Saturday afternoon about three brothers who run away and join the foreign legion, but he can't remember the name of the movie. He does remember getting here. The Mexican who pulled the gun on him put it away when he confirmed that Tim was Bobby Z and with great deference ushered Tim to a fucking Humvee and drove for hours over some torturous mountain trails until they reached what seemed like an oasis in the middle of the desert. They passed through an electric barbed wire gate past some armed guards and then down a road into a compound. The man showed Tim to his room and said that Brian, whoever the fuck Brian was, would see Tim in the morning. Tim, looking a luxury for the first time in his whole fucking life, sank into the circular bathtub for about an hour, dried himself with a towel the size of a flag, and then plopped in a bed and channel surfed until he fell asleep. Tomorrow will take care of tomorrow. So here I am, he thinks now as he puts on the white terry cloth robe and slides open the glass door and steps out onto the little patio outside of his room. He sits on the cane deck chair and puts his feet up on a little wrought iron table and tries to remember some of the orienteering shit he learned in the marines. He doesn't try real hard though, because the sun is hotting up and that feels fine and it just feels so damn good to be alone and outside. Sort of alone anyway. Off to his left, inside the compound. He hears the sound of someone whacking a tennis ball, and from the same general direction, the sound of somebody swimming smooth, steady laps. A Mexican woman walks by holding fresh linen, spots him, and with a worried look comes over. Lo siento, she says. I didn't know that you were awake. That's okay, Tim answers. I'm not so sure myself. Cafe, she says. Sounds great. Solo or con leche? Con leche, por favor. Tim answers. With milk, he thinks. Lots of milk. Azucar? He adds. He wants it thick and sweet. She smiles at his Spanish. say you Juno? Know? She asks him. Her teeth are snowy white against her full lips and brown skin. And that's what makes Tim realize that he's finally out. Not out of the jam, maybe, but out of the joint. Into the world of milk, sugar, and women. Desai Juno? You know? He asks, not understanding. Breakfast? She translates. Not knowing now whether he looks more like a dick if he answers in Spanish or English, he just nods his head and smiles. What you like? She asks. Which confuses the hell out of him. No one's asking that question about anything in such a long time. Whatever. Huevos? Toast? She struggles for the next word. Bacon? No thanks, he says, pissed at Zee for being a vegetarian. I'll tell the cook, she says, then adds apologetically. It'll take a few minutes, but I'll bring your coffee right away. Hey! He asks after her. See? Where am I? She thinks for a second before she answers. In a nice place. No shit, Tim thinks. And thinks also that he would have started being Bobby Z years ago if he had known it was going to be like this. He glances at her legs and breasts when she comes back with the tray, but looks away when she bends down to put it on the table. Gracias. He murmurs, feeling stupid. De nada, she answers, and off she goes, leaving him with just himself and the sounds of money, the hollow thunk of a racket meeting ball, and the whoosh of a body gliding through water. A child's laugh. Not bad, he thinks, for a dead fucker. After coffee and breakfast and nowhere from Brian, he meanders back into his room and starts looking in closets and drawers. They're filled with clothes that fit him. Nikes, Gucci loafers, fucking Calvin Klein polo shirts in pastel colors. Two Armani suits the color of sand. A white Adolfo blazer. Stacks of folded t-shirts, most of them black. One plum, one yellow, a few white. No advertising slogans on them either, just pure color. He showers and shaves. No aerosol can, but a sleek gray tube of shaving cream from something just called M. Then gets dressed. He puts on some ocean-pacific trunks, a cotton Mexican peasant pullover, the Armani shades and a khaki ball hat, and heads toward the sound of the water. A fucking waterfall in the desert, cascading down rocks into a pool that's shaped like a Saudi window. A long oval with circles on the top, bottoms, and two sides. Tiled at the bottom. In the center, an Arabic-style script, the letters B.C., The pool's big enough to hold a Mormon family reunion, and there's a jacuzzi you could do laps in. Big, tall, fucking date palm trees in case you get tired of lying in the sun. Good view of the house here, too. It looks just like a goddamn Arab fort. One central building with two wings. Arched doorways, windows, the whole nine yards. He half expects to hear the imam calling the faithful to prayer. Tennis courts. Not court, quartz, swimming pool, an emerald green rectangle, a clipped lawn with croquet shit on it. A couple of adobe outbuildings, all surrounded by the adobe wall, in which Tim can make out motion and sound detectors. So Brian C. must have himself some enemies, Tim thinks. And some nice friends, too. Because now Tim sees her, lying on her stomach on a chaise, her top unstrapped. Her back evenly tanned. Her dark auburn hair pulled up off her neck. Long legs and a small ass. She senses him there and cranes her neck a couple inches off the shades to check him out. She smiles at him under her wraparound shades. A secret smile, Tim thinks. He smiles back. She drops her head back down. He peels off the peasant shirt. He's in good shape. Good prison shape, anyway. Lots of push ups and sit ups. Pale though. She sees it. She says, Jesus, you're white. Low voice. Very sexy. Without looking up, she reaches under her chaise and hands him a tube of 30 blocker. He mumbles, Thanks. Stretches out on the chaise behind her and starts lathering his body. He's getting down to his feet when a Mexican boy comes out and says, Mr. Z. Brian would like to see you if it's convenient. A fucking course. He slips his shirt back on and follows the kid into the house. Chapter seven. Brian turns out to be Brian Curvier, with a hard C, like Curvier, not a soft C like Servier. But Tim figures that C's the only thing hard about Brian. Brian is obese like round, like the Pillsbury Doughboy on a Twinkie binge. Tim makes Brian to be maybe in his late 20s, already balding. There's some red brillo clinging to the sides of his head. And if Tim is pale, Brian is a freaking albino. Not really, Tim thinks. Brian doesn't have pink eyes or anything. But the guys like Casper friendly ghost he's so white. For one thing, He's wearing a full-length white cafting you could hold the revival meeting in, and he still looks fat. He's got these fat toes shoved in the sandals, and his cheeks are sinking down into his fat neck. And Tim figures that if Brian with the hard C curvier has one more donut, it's going to be a Richard Simmons suicide situation. Right now, Brian's sitting in a big wooden chair, and he's drinking some fruity shit with vodka in it. And he's just about wetting his pants, he's so happy to meet the legendary Bobby Z. In honor, Brian trills. Would you like a drink? He would. He asks for a beer and a Mexican boy appears the next second like the room is mic'd. The boy could be 17 or 23 and him and Brian share a glance that Tim recognizes from the joint. The boy hands Tim an icy Corona. Tim sits down in another wooden chair. He and Brian look at each other for a few seconds. A real love fest. And finally, Brian says, Don Huertaro sends his apologies he couldn't come in person. But he's asked me to extend to you every hospitality. He's going to make it up over the weekend. So, Mikasa, Sukasa. su casa. It's some casa, Tim says. Thank you. Reminds me of a movie. Brian is pleased. He smiles and says, guest." My favorite film. I watch it all the time. I had the place designed like the fort. Sans the dead bodies, of course. That's wild, Tim says. What he's thinking is that Brian Curvier has too much money and not enough to do. Well, Brian says, I wanted to go with a desert theme and you get so tired of the Mexican shit, you know? And the Santa Fe thing has been done to death. To death. The fuck we talking about, Tim thinks. Likewise, the Talisean West bit, Brian continues. So? Here we are, Tim says. He's afraid to really ask where exactly here is, because maybe Z's supposed to know. What happened last night? Brian suddenly screeches. When he grins, his piggy eyes roll up in the fat and disappear. Tim shrugs whole lot of shooting is all i know brian shrugs it can get edgy on the border were you there no i sent representatives brian says call it an overabundance of caution tim raises his beer in a salute brian goes on don huertaro is furious at his people for botching the exchange a couple of his people are dead They're better off, Brian says. Then he adds, of course, Don Huertaro is thrilled with me. Which is good for business. Tim raises his beer and toasts. Business. You know the one product Mexico produces really well, Brian asks. What? Mexicans. Mexicans. Brian says, Mexico fucks up its oil. Its gold mines are shot. It can't market a friole, but it poops out Mexicans like Japan shits cars. Mexicans are Mexico's one export. And you import, Tim says. Well, we're importers, aren't we? Brian purrs. Anything the government makes illegal makes us money. Drugs, people, sex. I'm hoping they outlaw oxygen next. Tim smiles what he figures is a Z-like knowing smile. Which is like the thing to do when you don't know. There's at least a shot that people will figure you know so well that you don't need to say. Tim stays cool and silent and drains the rest of his beer. A smile plays on the edges of Brian's lips. Smile flutters there for a second and then Brian just can't contain himself. I shouldn't be telling you this, he said. But... Don Huartero has a big business proposition for you. Big. What's that? Meth, Brian says. The new big high. Meth? Brian nods. Don Huertaro is setting up meth labs all over the Southland. He provides the chemicals. I supply the labor. And we're hoping that you, Brian is just breathless, that you will supply the market. I don't do meth, Tim says. I do dope. I know, I know, Brian says. But use your imagination, Bobby. Don Huertaro's organization? With my labor supply? Tapped into your high-end market? We could print our own currency. So that's the deal, Tim thinks. That's what's worth giving back poor, fucked-up Art Moreno. Turn Bobby's mellow grass network on to crystal meth. Get you a West Coast full of hopped up yuppies whacking each other's heads off, going bad fucking crazy, but getting a shitload of work done and let the money roll in. I have to give it some thought, Tim says. Of course, Brian coos. Kick back, chill out, put your feet up. Mikasa, Sukasa anything you desire bobby just nod or lift a finger let your desire be known and it shall be done okay this is an oasis a perfume garden a house of pleasure tim says the dea might be looking for me they won't find you brian answers not here tim takes a chance where is here Anza Borrego State Park, Brian answers. A state park? Like, with rangers and shit? State-owned land? Hey, Brian, I spend about all the time I want on a state-owned property. This is freehold land, Brian answers. 2,000 acres of desert my grandparents left me. Surrounded by the great nothing. Desert flats and desert mountains. A jackrabbit couldn't get in here without my knowing about it. Or out? Brian's smile gives Tim the creeps. Or out? Inconvenient to the Mexican border, Tim says. A border, Brian answers, is a state of mind. He lets Z ponder this for a moment, then says, So welcome to the Hotel California. Chapter 8 they step outside where the sun has bleached the world white. Sunlight so harsh it burns the eye. Tim puts on his shades and sees through blue filters a party in progress at the pool. Against the noon faded pastels of the desert, the guests are in bright primary colors. Rectangles of blue, reds, and yellows standing around the bright turquoise of the pool. Beautiful people in angles of repose. Even the ones standing up look like they're resting, Tim thinks. Their arms bent in a leisurely angle of drink-to-lips. Hips swiveled and knees flexed, ready to move on to the next conversation. Eyes lazily scanning the crowd for sights more interesting or pleasurable. Tim hates them instantly. They look, and are, he supposes, rich. The men are mostly tall and thin and look strong from pushing on machines and air-conditioned gyms. They're cocoa butter tan, too. Not farmer tan or working guy tan, tan to stop at the shirt line. These guys are tan from lying around pools and boats. They sport trendy haircuts, either long with a ponytail or side shaved with a ponytail or side shaved with no ponytail. A few goatees. A couple have carefully manicured two-day stubble. The women are a convict's wet dream. Mostly blondes with big straw hats over 200 buck hair sauce from Jose Bear, Big jewelry. Chains, earrings, bracelets over expensive bathing suits, mostly black two-piece. Or topless over wraparounds. Beads of sweat dripping between brown breasts. Men or women... They turn to look at Tim as he comes into the pool area with Brian. It startles him at first. Shit, scares him. But then he realizes he isn't loser Tim Carney from Desert Hot Springs. He's ultimate cool Bobby Z from Laguna, and he doesn't have to carry their garbage anymore. In fact, he doesn't have to do anything. That's California cool, Tim thinks. Do nothing but look good. Let the legend do the work. So he stops and lets him get a good look at the legend. Shielded by the shades, he meets their gaze, one lazy pair of rich, lazy eyes at a time. And for the first time in his life, sees what? Not fear, exactly. Not exactly respect. What is it? Tim asks himself as he looks at their pampered faces look at him. Inferiority, he realizes. They think he's better than they are. Except for her. Standing at the far end of the pool, hand on cocked hip. She meets his eyes and gives him that knowing, mocking smile again. He takes the time to stare back. Check her out. A gauze skirt is wrapped around her long legs now. An unbuttoned linen blouse hangs over her black bikini top. He likes it that she's covered up. Her breasts not like everybody's in some playboy pictorial. Her hair is still up her neck long and lovely, but it's that smile, man, that gets Tim going. He feels his own lips twist into a smile of its own. She laughs and turns away. It breaks it to blow. Most of the guests change partners or approach the Mexican bartender for a fresh drink. Through the breaking crowd, Tim's gaze stays on her as she squats down to speak to a small boy who's putting a toy boat into the water. The boy looks so out of place here, Tim thinks. It is out of place. The fuck are his parents thinking, Tim wonders. The scent of marijuana pierces the hot air. Dope and semi naked women, and they're letting a little kid run around. He hopes she's not his mother. The kid doesn't look like her. He's blonde for one thing, his hair long and chopped at the bottom like some deadhead's kid, surf bum's kid. Blue eyes. It's hard to tell behind the blue shades. And hers are what? Green? It ain't her kid, Tim thinks. If it's her kid, she takes him out of here. Takes him home because she has class. Tim looks around for the parents. But there doesn't seem to be a pair of adults with special eyes for the boy. There is another young woman. Looks South American, watching the boy. Looking at a magazine and watching the boy. And Tim wants to go ask her what the fuck she's thinking about. Fucking pools are dangerous for kids, Tim thinks. dangerous for him too. Because even in the Marines, he never learned to swim. Switch with the guy on the test. But you gotta watch a kid around the pool. Not be looking at some magazine reading about having a better sex life in ten minutes. But it ain't my kid, he thinks. And none of my business. The boy pushes the boat into the pool, then steps back and points a black box with an antenna at it. Kid's got a radio-controlled boat, Tim thinks. So the kid's got him some money. A nanny, and a radio-controlled boat, he thinks. And a buddy, her, because the kid is clearly showing off for her. Don't blame you, kid, Tim thinks. You can pick him. Brian is ushering the guests to a big open tent where Mexicans sweat under white jackets behind big platters of carne asada and pots of chili verde. Tim smells the moist scent of fresh flour tortillas, and it makes him hungry again. And horny, he thinks. The smell, the sun, all the naked flesh, and her. Just a small Sunday brunch, Brian says to him. We'll have a real party for you when Don Huertero can be here. A barbecue. Who are all these people, Tim asks. My friends, Brian answers. Mostly Euro trash. Most of them from the import-export community. A few Germans who live in Borrego Springs. A few weekend guests. A few more permanent house guests. Who's the kid? Kid, Brian asks. He turns to look at the boy. That's Olivia's boy, he answers. Which one's Olivia? Olivia's not here, Brian chuckles. Olivia's back in Betty Ford for the 80th time. She asked Elizabeth to look after Kit, and Elizabeth asked me if she could bring the boy and the nanny here. So here we all are, one great, big, extended, dysfunctional family, Shea Curvier. Elizabeth. Tim thinks. Cute kid, he says. Isn't he? Kid's got a father? Brian shrugs. In theory. Tim realizes that they're all waiting for him to start. So he gets a big bowl of vegetarian chili and some tortillas and sits down. A waiter brings him a margarita. He eats and drinks and watches the slave traders and drug dealers line up for their food. Something else. A tall man strides into the pool area. Tim watches him. The man wears an old cowboy hat, a thick green work shirt, khaki jeans, and cowboy boots. The sleeves are rolled up and show a cowboy's tan. The man takes off his reflective sunglasses and smirks at the party guests. He squints until he finds Brian, and then walks under the canopy, takes off his hat, and tosses to Brian. Hat in hand, Tim thinks. Employee to employer. Brian nods, nods, and nods again. He gestures for the man to eat, but the man smirks, shakes his head, and points the hat out there, towards the desert. He has work to do, Tim thinks. Then the man looks over Brian's shoulder and stares at Tim, and smirks. He doesn't think he's inferior. He's middle-aged, Tim sees. Big, sun-wrinkled face, and he's been working his whole life. Out there. He looks at Tim like Tim's one of his cattle that he's sizing up. The man doesn't put his hat back on until he's out from under the canopy. Tim thinks the same thing he'd think if he saw the guy on the yard. The man is trouble, Tim thinks. Then he goes back to eating. A rule that hold up in the joint or in the core. When there's food, eat. When there's a party, party. Chapter 9 Tim watches the sunset from a parapet on the wall. Behind and beneath him, the pool party sputters towards an end. Behind the wall, the mountains turn from sienna to chocolate brown as the light fades. He's interested now in watching the sunset because he wants to mark true west for himself. Something he remembers from all that orienteering shit in the core. So he watched the sun go down over the nearest mountains, and he figured he's somewhere in the southern dogleg of Borrego, near the Mexican border. There's a long stretch of desert between Curvier's ranch and those mountains. He can also see that the Boguess Fort is a make-believe fort set inside of a real one, a small compound encircled by a much larger one. The larger circle is bordered by thick rows of tamarisk trees. He could make out the high barbed wire fence inside the trees. Soda cans, probably filled with pebbles, he thinks, are strung from the lower strands of wire. The top of the fence is stretched with double wire and a single strand of electrified fence. In a thicker grove of tamarisk, there's a barbed wire gate that leads to a dirt road. Outside the trees, out in the scrub brush of the desert, Coils of barbed wire lie like snakes on the ground. And probably motion and sound detectors, Tim thinks. Brian likes his privacy. Not that there aren't a lot of people around. In the large outer compound, Tim can make out several armed guards. At least five outbuildings that look like workers' quarters, garages, and workshops. He sees several three-wheel all-terrain vehicles and a small fleet of dirt bikes. The Humvee, and maybe there is more than one, is visible in a garage where a worker is checking the oil. There's even an ultralight aircraft that one of the Germans flew over from Borrego. There's a stable with horses and the accompanying shit. And way off in the southern end of the large compound, and Tim had to look hard to see it, there are five rectangles of off-colored brush that look like overgrown tennis courts. But he doesn't think they are. He doesn't know what the fuck they are. He climbs down and rejoins the party, which is gathered now around the jacuzzi. Brian is cuddled up with a pretty boy from Milan. Two lanky Germans are up to their shoulders in the hot, swirling water. Another Luftwaffe type, a big, strapping Aryan, is busy seducing a small, dark-haired woman whose pert breasts peek through a gauzy poncho. The women who remain are at least dressed, Tim sees, as the desert night turns cold, and she's sipping a glass of dark red wine and sitting back on the chaise, watching. The kid, what's his name? Tim asks himself, is at it with the boat again, zooming it around the pool in some sort of imaginary race, against nobody. A lonely kid with no other kids around to play with and no one seems to care. The nanny's token on a joint. Tim pulls a chair up and sits down. Brian takes a thick split from his lips and says, You're dope, Z. Tim makes a sign of the cross and says, Wherever two or more are gathered in my name. They laugh and Brian offers Tim the joint. Tim waves it off and Brian slips it into the mouth of his pretty boy, who sucks hard and deep. And the kids sing this shit, Tim thinks. The big German, Tim thinks of Miss Hans, even though he doesn't know his name, says to the minx lady, You know what i like to do to you? He says aloud, deliberately, Tim sees, so that everyone will stop and listen. Everyone does. She's tickled fucking pink. Her eyes light up and she asks, What would you like to do with me? Tim sees the kid turn to watch Hans says I like to spank your little ass Why don't you keep it between you? Tim asks Hans Hans has had enough to drink that he forgets who's talking to him and he gives Tim this upper class sneer turns back to the lady and says in this B-movie accent Eat you until you scream Shut up, Willie Elizabeth says Fuck you Then come all over your tits They all laugh, except for the kid, Elizabeth, and Tim. Tim's not laughing. What Tim does is he springs up and slaps Willie hard across the face. The slap knocks Willie off his chair. He's on his knees giving Tim this shocked look when Tim grabs him by the shirt collar, hauls him to the pool, and pushes his head under the water. And holds it there. Even while Tim's thinking that it's the same bad temper that got him tossed out the core. And even though he knows it's the same character flaw, all he feels is this red anger as he holds Willie's head under the pretty blue water. Nobody moves either. Not Brian or his boy, or the woman who just now thought Willie was so hot. They just sit there, watching him drown their friend. Some fucking buddies, he thinks. Then Elizabeth uncoils herself from her chaise walks over and taps Tim on the shoulder. Bobby, she says quietly, and she's smiling again. He's turning funny colors. Tim hauls Willie up. Willie lays on his back, gasping like a trout, and Tim tells him, you shouldn't talk that way in front of a kid. Then, to sound more like Bobby Z, adds, it's not cool. He's about to tell the stone nanny to do a better job when the cowboy is suddenly standing there. Now he has a revolver strapped to his hip. Talks like a cowboy too, Tim thinks, when the man says, We're ready to go out, Mr. C. And Tim hears himself say, I want to go. Brian sputters, I don't think I want to go, Tim says, cold, like Z, like, Nobody fuck with me. The cowboy hears too, because he asks, You got any real clothes? In my room, Tim answers. I can wait a bit. Tim feels the kid watching him as he leaves. Her too, but she's trying to hide it. When he comes out again a few minutes later, the party's broken up. But the kid is still playing with the boat, and Elizabeth's keeping an eye on him. She gets up when she sees Tim and walks over to him. She says, I liked what you did. I was an asshole, he answered. I lost my temper. He was thrilled somebody stood up for him, she says. Finally. He looks like a nice kid, Tim says. He can't think of anything else to say. You think so, she says, looking at him funny. Yeah, why not, he answers, and then says... I mean, if you're in the lads. Are you? Not me, no. That's too bad, she says. Why is that too bad, he asks, figuring he's being flirted with, liking it. She looks at him with those smart, knowing eyes. Because he's yours, she says. And turns around and walks away. Chapter 10 The cowboy's name is Bill Johnson. He's a ranch foreman. Brian actually has some cattle out there, but cattle isn't the ranch business. Tim learns this riding with Johnson in the front of a Bedford truck, rumbling along a mountain trail towards the border. The trip starts in the garages in the outer compound. Four big canvas top Bedfords, gassed and ready to go. A Humvee in front. Lights on, only in the Humvee as they pick their way along what has to be a sheep trail. It's around 10 o'clock when they reach the backside of a ridge overlooking the border. Johnson stops the truck and signals the Humvee ahead. The four-wheelers scutter up the ridge. The truck driver slips headsets on and scans the radio. He looks at Johnson, shakes his head and gives a thumbs up. Johnson grabs a handheld radio and a pair of infrared glasses, which he loops around his neck. You want to go for a walk? He asks Tim. Sure. Johnson walks to the back of the truck, opens the flaps, and says something in rapid Spanish. Tim watches five Cahuilla Indians jump out, all of them armed with rifles and machetes. They trot down the ridge towards the canyon below. Come on, Johnson says to Tim. They climb the ridge where the Humvee sits like one of those idiot guard dogs used to annoy Tim so much in his B and E days. Lights off now and motor shut down. Tim lies down beside Johnson behind some rocks as the foreman scans the terrain with the night glasses. He hands Tim the binoculars and says Have a look. To his right, Tim sees Interstate eight and the lights of the border town of Jehumba. Directly in front of him. In the desert plain, he sees four packs of people trotting away from the border. He watches as the Cahuillas run to greet them and start to steer them into the canyon. Illegals. Coming to El Norte to find work. Johnson gets up and crouches his way to the Humvee. A window opens and Tim sees another head driver. Anything? Johnson asks. The driver shakes his head. Tim figures that they're monitoring the INS radios and that there will be no problem tonight. Get down there, Johnson says to the driver. Hurry him up. Tim watched the Humvee tear down into the valley and help herd the illegal immigrants into the mouth of a narrow canyon. Johnson grunts an order into his radio, and Tim hears the truck motor start up behind him. Let's go, Johnson says. They hike back to the road. The Cahuillas and the Humvee driver are trying to jam the Mexicans to the back of the trucks. Dozens of illegals stand in clumps, shivering and looking confused as hell. Whole families it looks like to Tim. Men, women, kids, and grandparents. The families are trying to get into the same trucks and it's slowing things down. Johnson gets into it, pushing, swearing under his breath and kicking. The Cahuillas pick up on his anger and start swinging rifle stocks. Not in the heads, but in the backs and buttocks. It takes about ten minutes to get the illegals packed in and the canvas flaps tied down. And make quiet. Johnson says to the truck drivers. Make shut up. He climbs back into the truck. I used to herd cattle, Johnson says. Now I herd people. The convoy starts back. Johnson sends the Humvee ahead. The Cowie is riding on the running boards. It's a slow process. The trucks cling to the side of the mountains for switchback after switchback. Tim can lean out the windows on the curb and look several hundred feet straight down, and he wants to puke. Especially on the downhill grades, when he can hear the gravel slipping under the wheels. Johnson smokes a cigarette and doesn't seem to mind the drive. He offers Tim a smoke and Tim's tempted, but he quit in solitary and is trying to stay off. The only thing that seems to make Johnson nervous is his watch. He keeps glancing at it and frowning and after an hour says to Tim, we're racing the sunrise. It's such a fucking cowboy thing to say. Such a cowboy movie thing to say that Tim chuckles a little bit. Johnson says, There was a truck carrying a load of Mexicans through this desert a while back. Converted moving van that couldn't handle the roads. Sunrise found them halfway to nowhere, and the INS has choppers. You know what the Coyotes did? No. Locked up the trucks and left, Johnson said. The Mexicans couldn't get out. Some beat down on that metal roof all day, and they cooked inside of there. One thing Mexico's always making is more Mexicans, Tim remembers Brian saying. So I kind of like to get back well before sunrise, Johnson says. Johnson radios the driver ahead to put the foot down a little, and radios the other trucks to keep up. They're hurtling around these fucking curves, wheels slipping on the gravel, and Johnson suddenly gets talkative. One of the most godforsaken places on earth, he says. On to Borrego. And it leads right down to the border. A rustler's dream. Since the government boys clamped down on San Diego, the action's moved east. Out here. That's all. Perfect for us. The coyotes bring the Mexicans across, turn em loose in the desert. The Mexicans are scareder than shit. And we pick em up and take em back to the barn. Easier than cattle, really. Cause cattle don't always want to come, you know. The convoy makes it down the grade and leaves the road altogether driving across a packed desert ground to a riverbed where there's still a trickle of water in the late spring. They rattle up the creek for an hour, and leave it where a shelf of rock leads them back to the desert floor. A few more minutes, they hit another old mining road and make it back through the gate while the sky is safely black. Brian waddles up in his white caftan to inspect his property, Tim thinks. The drivers open the truck and start hurting the illegals into the camouflaged rectangles at the far end of the compound. Johnson hops out and motions for Tim to follow him. They aren't tennis courts, Tim sees, but the roofs of underground barracks. He steps into one to see the tightly packed rows of bunk beds on a concrete floor. A room in the back has some drop toilets and a couple of shower heads. Some water that smells like sulfur drips from a leaky faucet head in the side of the concrete wall. The place stinks of old sweat and Lysol. And the disinfectant just ain't getting it done. There's been too many fucking people jammed into an underground bunker with the ventilation of a submarine, Tim thinks. And now, they're jamming in a new bunch. Pack them in and hide them under the ground, and if there's a smell of misery, Tim's smelling it. He glances at the eyes of some of these poor bastards and thinks, "If you could see fear, he's seeing it." Welcome to the Hotel California. It's not getting them in, Brian tells Tim as they walk back to the Beau Guest's inner compound. It's hiding them until you can place them. We have room for five hundred illegals here, and I can move them from here without worrying about checkpoints. North a few miles, they pick dates in Indio. A few more miles, they clean toilets in Palm Springs. I could truck them to factories in San Diego, L.A., Downey, Riverside. You're a sweet guy, Brian. So, Brian asks, you think you can get us some ties? You running out of Mexicans? It's this fucking NAFTA thing, Brian says. Next, they'll legalize drugs. You high, Brian? Just skin popping. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com um, Check me out on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club. Leave a review on Podchaser. Uh, you can leave a review for the show or for separate episodes. Both would be dope. Uh, yeah, that's about it. com slash SSCast. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace.